2: Welcome to this week's episode of the Modern Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Cook. And today's episode is a great conversation I got to have with Kate Murphy all about listening and specifically how to do it well in ways that serve your career goals. Kate is a Houston, Texas-based journalist who has written for the New York Times, The Economist, and Texas Monthly. She's the author of You're Not Listening, What You're Missing, and Why It Matters. I really enjoyed my chat with Kate, and I hope you do as well. Kate, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Mentor podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So, Kate, you have written this book called You're Not Listening What You're Missing and Why It Matters. I loved it. It's full of stories and insights and tips that struck me with my professional hat on. It also hit me a little bit as a mother and as a wife. I think there really is something in it for everybody. But given that The Modern Mentor is all about creating workplace success, we'll try to keep our conversation around listening in that realm. I'd love to start with maybe just a short story, Kate, about what inspired you to write the book. What is it about The way we listen, or perhaps the way we don't listen, that prompted you to do the research and put it all in this place for us?
3: Well, as a journalist, I listen for a living, so I've always been interested in listening. Just the slight little clues that you get from people when you're really listening to them, that they may have more to say, or they may not being honest, that type of thing. But I also am a person who lives in the same world as everyone else. And I've noticed that listening is not something that people are doing as often or as well as perhaps they used to. You know, whether it's always looking at their phone or just the environments that we have created for ourselves, you have restaurants, Shops, um, just, you know, even a car dealership, it always has piped in music in the background, the acoustics and most environments, you know, whether you were talking about the workplace, there are open office designs where, you know, before COVID, of course, you know, every keyboard click, every after lunch belch is audible by everyone else. And so it's really hard to listen. So it's not only, you know, what might be going on within us keeping from listening. It's also what's going on without. And, Just all of those factors coming together, plus what's happening politically, in addition to technologically and culturally, it just made it seem like this was a topic worth
2: addressing. Really well said. And I think, you know, something that struck me is you said it's really hard to listen, which... I think for a lot of people will kind of strike them as a little bit confusing because I think we default to assume listening is just being silent and letting sounds come into your ears. And how hard is that really? But in the book, you make the case for listening actually being a lot more complex and it being more of a skill than just something passive that we do. Can you talk a little bit about that? What makes listening so hard to do? Most people think listening is just, you
3: know, keeping your lips together. That just, you know, sitting there quietly and then ta da, you're listening. And there's so much more to it than that. If you ask people about, you know, what does it mean to be a good listener? Most people can't tell you. I did hundreds of interviews and people would just look at me with a blank stare when I'd say, what is it that makes a good listener? Tell me what a good listener is. And they couldn't tell me. But at the same time, they could tell me very well what it meant to be a bad listener. Things like looking at a phone, interrupting, changing the subject, things like that, that you know are so common. And it really tells you that we have more experience not being listened to versus being listened to because people really couldn't come up with that. And that's because, you know, partially people have this idea that it's just being quiet. Whereas, you know, there's a lot more to it that's, you know, bringing all your senses to the table when you are speaking with somebody. And also knowing how to look within and know what it is inside you that may keep you from listening or may color how you
2: interpret what people say. There's just a
3: world of things that go into
2: it. And you mentioned a couple of those things that you heard during your interviews. So people describing bad listening as things like people looking at their watch or turning their attention elsewhere, which when I hear you say that, it reminds me of kind of feeling Like somebody isn't respecting my time, like I'm not special enough, like I'm not important enough. And so when we don't listen to somebody, we're not giving attention. We're sending a gentle message about our value of their time. But what are some of the harder takeaways? So if we think about some of the concepts you laid out in the book and we apply them to the workplace, and if we think about somebody who is looking to be deemed successful, they're looking to get ahead, maybe they're looking to sell ideas or impress their boss, or they're looking to be seen as a leader on their team. What are some of the ideas around listening and good listening in particular that you would recommend they? put into practice? And how will it potentially impact the way they are perceived and the experience that they have? Well,
3: I think you hit on it just in your opener to that question, that, you know, when you listen to someone, or when you don't listen to someone, it sends a message, and it is a lack of respect. And it is a lack of caring. And when you transmit that in any circumstance, but particularly in the workplace, you know, whether it's to a colleague, to your boss, to your customer, that you don't care, that you don't respect them, you're not going to get very far. Now, on the contrary, when you do listen, that transmits that you are really interested, and you do respect them. And that will get you a long way in any circumstance. And particularly in the workplace, if you think about listening, how do you know what your customer wants unless you listen to them? How do you know what your boss wants? You know, how do you know what the tender points are that maybe you better stay away from? How do you know the things that will really set them on fire so you will know how to craft your message when you are speaking to really hit home with whatever your target audience is, be it your boss, your customer, your coworker to motivate people to buy, to do what you want them to do, to advance in your career. Listening has a lot to do with that. In fact, it's more important than speaking because you can't speak effectively unless you've listened first and know your audience.
0: Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market.
1: Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.
2: You just use the expression crafting your message, right? And the way that you effectively craft a message is not by knowing the biggest words or saying the smartest things, but about demonstrating that you have heard what has been said and speaking in response to that. You did a great job of laying out some of what people described as the experience of bad listening. Through your work, what are some of the tips that people can take away in order to not just look like a good listener, but actually be an effective listener?
3: Well, I love how you said look like a good listener, because that's what, you know, when people talk about active listening, I I looked at a lot of corporate manuals and employee manuals, employee handbooks, And a lot of them have started to realize that listening is important without quite knowing what listening is. And so they will have these sections in active listening, and they are all predicated on what a good listener, quote unquote, looks like. Things like nodding and um, looking someone in the eye and keeping your mouth shut so it doesn't look like you're about to break in. But, you know, listening is, as we've already touched on, much more than that. And a lot of it has to do with the way you respond and showing that you did understand what the person said. And it's not so much that you get grasp every single detail of what the person said, but you really understand the underlying emotions of what they said. What is bothering them? What is making them happy? What is aggravating them? What are they concerned about? And being able to put words to that and recognizing what people are feeling because that's really what people want in a business or a personal circumstance is they want to know that you understand why they are telling you whatever they're telling you. Not so much that you have the particular details. And the research shows that people are pretty bad at that. What I've seen and has been confirmed in several studies is that really only 5% of the time do people respond in, in an emotionally intelligent way to what the person just said. So if you are able to really find the message beneath the message, why is this person telling me this? Because often people will tell you things um, and they are working their way to telling you what they really want to tell you. So you really have to understand the subtext and the sub-message of messaging to really be an effective listener. J. Pierpont Morgan, the great financier, said there are two reasons that a person does something, and it's the logical one and the real
2: one. I'm curious, you're talking a lot about perceiving subtext, perceiving what they mean versus maybe what they say, even perceiving body language, eye contact, some of these signals Right now, we're recording this conversation at a moment when everything is virtual. We're not sitting face-to-face with people. Do you have any advice that people can use, particularly right now, as we need to not only be listening, but listening virtually and listening in a time of high anxiety? Do you have any tips around how we can really bump up our game in light of these circumstances?
3: Well, there are two things I'd say about that. The first is realizing that this is a time of high anxiety and that often people react to stress and anxiety in different ways. People, as we've already discussed, are not the best listeners even in the best of times, but listening can really fall by the wayside in times of stress. People may retreat into themselves, they may become more easily distracted, and they may try and become more analytical or critical in an attempt to control the conversation when everything else seems so uncontrollable. It's real important to be mindful of that and to really listen underneath that when somebody may be acting like a jerk and it may be just because they're anxious, you know, and really trying to listen to what the person is trying to say. Are they saying what they really mean? Are they just venting some anxiety and some stress? And then in terms of technology and communicating virtually, I am not a huge fan of Zoom and other types of video conferencing calling because exactly what you were talking about, that there are so many signals that you get and that human beings are, you know, without our conscious awareness, incredibly exquisitely sensitive to things like facial expression and just those, you know, minute little crinkles around the eyes and around the mouth, and we don't even know it and also human beings without our conscious awareness as well, mirror one another. And so when you're looking at somebody on a video, and you're subconsciously trying to mirror the other person's facial expressions, read what they're doing, and you're getting this image that is getting sort of blocky or blurred or delayed, just because of the way the technology is, it sends a signal that you're interpreting wrong, that you aren't able to predict what people, because we're human beings are sort of predictors. The brain is a predicting me- mechanism. And so when you're listening to somebody and picking up on their facial cues, part of your brain is predicting what comes next and also predicting how they will respond to what you're saying. And when that's delayed or fuzzy or blocky, often a lot of these technologies smooth over the image, so you're not getting that feedback, it's subconsciously a little bit disturbing. And so the research shows that when people are doing Zoom interviews, they get this sense of disquiet and unease, and they're not really quite sure why. And, you know, people talk about Zoom fatigue, you know, getting really Mm -hmm. tired after, and that's because your brain is just going, oh my God, what's going on here? You know, you're not aware of it, but it's saying, I'm not seeing the expressions. I'm not able to mirror. And also the person's not looking you in the eye, which is what you're used to because of by virtue of where the camera is, it's either looking up at you or down at you or from the side. And we might interpret that person as being because of wherever their eyes are looking as, you know, untrustworthy, shifty, maybe sad, maybe haughty, just depending on where that is. And again, this is all subconscious but it really does affect how we listen and how we interpret other people. And that's not to say Zoom doesn't have its place. You know, it's wonderful for the kids to wave and blow kisses to their grandparents. Um, It's great for, you know, look at what I'm making for dinner. Oh, let me see. And I'm not against Zoom, but if you want to have a really meaningful conversation, I've interviewed a lot of businessmen who've said, you know, if they're talking to their partners and really want to have a creative, engaged discussion, they get on the phone because having no facial cues is better than faulty facial cues. So that's something else to think about.
2: That is super interesting. And that resonates with me because I am feeling that exhaustion from video and it is confusing. And what I hear you saying, or what I think I hear you saying is it almost makes it harder to listen effectively because we're being distracted by these signals that are being created by Faultiness in the technology. And so to have that higher quality conversation, just do audio, or at least sometimes just do audio.
3: Right. You have to judge what's best for the circumstance. But, you know, if you really want to have a meaningful conversation where you're really connecting with the other person and really trying to, you know, say develop ideas or be creative or find out, you know, how a customer, say, is dissatisfied or, you know, whether your boss is, you know, ticked off with you, it's better to just get on the phone.
2: So we've talked a little bit so far about how listening can make you more effective in the workplace, listening to customers, listening to your boss to ensure you have clarity, listening maybe to your team members to ensure that you're capturing the ideas. I would say the other piece of this from a workplace success perspective is that there are a lot of people right now who would love to be in the position of having to do these things in the workplace, but frankly, they are looking for a job we're seeing really high levels of unemployment right now, a lot of anxiety, of course, that comes with that. And I would just love to get your thoughts on how can we tap into our listening skill set in order to present as maybe a stronger job candidate?
3: You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, one of the most gratifying things that has happened to me since writing the book is, you know, I get so much mail now from people who have read the book, as well as at bookstores where people would come up to me and say, you know, I haven't been able to get a job for two years and I read your book and got a job. As somebody who writes because they want to be helpful, whether it's in my journalism or writing this book, that was the sole reason why I wrote it was to be helpful and to really hear that I am has been enormous. Now to get to how you can use some of the techniques in the book to get a job and be a more attractive applicant in talking to the people who use the book, the anecdotes that they told me, which is what I would expect, is they said, you know, really, my strategy was to go into the interview and really present myself, you know, make my mark, you know, stay on message and really kind of be on show. You know, like I, I'm the person that's on stage right now and I need to capture your attention. I, You know, I need to do my elevator pitch. I need to really be the one that's out there. And when they read that my book, they realized that's really not what's needed, that I really need to listen to the interviewer to figure out what is it that they want? What is it that they are asking me? And to really get drilled down on what's important to this person that I am sitting in front of, and also to ask questions, to not make it all about you, but to really show that you are curious, that you're inquisitive, that you will listen. Tell me what you think is important for a candidate. Really kind of reflect the questions back to them and really listen. And when you listen to that and then are able to say, well, what I'm hearing is this and this is how I fit into what you may need. It makes all the difference in the world. As we talked about earlier, it's a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. And people want to hire people that care and that are respectful. And listening is the easiest way to show that you are that person.
2: Yes. And it's also, I think, a big piece of being successful in a job search is just about creating a connection, right? A lot of times, our hiring leader may interview a bunch of people, and they might have three people that seem equally qualified on paper, and even that sort of performed equally well in the interview. But At the end of the day, if the hiring leader felt a stronger sense of connection with one person, and we've already determined that listening creates connection, it can really help move you to the top of that pack.
3: Oh my gosh. Well, Rachel, that's exactly it. And if you don't listen, you can't create a connection. It's impossible because then everything's going out and nothing's coming in to make that connection with the other person.
2: I think when people aren't listening effectively, there are probably different reasons why that might be the case, right? Sometimes I think we are driven to just sound like the smartest one in the room. In some cases, it may just be a little bit of apathy. I think one of the reasons I know you talk about in your book that we, we generically, we have a tendency to not be great listeners is that we are crafting a response, right? Like our boss is talking to us. The hiring leader is talking to us. Somebody important, is talking to us and we need to sound smart when we respond. And so rather than carefully listening, I'm crafting a thoughtful response in my head so that there's not an awkward dead silence when the other person stops speaking. What are some ways that we can break that habit? So how do we make sure that we feel safe in not crafting that response in our head? And how do we create the confidence to just listen and rely on trusting that the right response will come?
3: Well, I think part of it is just to realize that the perfect response is the response that's relevant, salient to what the person has just said. And if you're Mm -hmm. thinking about what you're going to say in the middle, if not throughout all of what they're saying, what you say is not going to be the best response. And also, I think part of it is to give yourself a break. Because it's okay at the end of, you know, somebody else's monologue to think for a minute. If you don't know what to say, it's perfectly all right to say, you know, I don't know what to say, or I'd like to think about that thing. So it is, you know, a sign of respect that not only were you listening to what the person said, but you found it sufficiently interesting that you want to take a moment before you respond. And the response that you will give will be better. And more on point and better received if you really not only take in what the person said, but also take a moment to give your response. I mean, as an interviewer, I really have come to very much value people who say, let me think about that. I also think people really sell themselves short because a lot of times, if you have listened well, you are able to come up with something because you did listen. There's a quote in the book that I love where this guy says that he married his wife because she takes a beat before she responds and he can tell she's really listening.
2: That is a really, really liberating piece of advice. The answer is you don't have to have the answer. You just have to be listening. And there is no shame in wanting a moment or sometimes wanting a day to think about something and circle back thoughtfully.
3: Absolutely. I do think people need to give themselves a break.
2: I want to come back for a minute to the workplace, because one of the big buzzwords around the workplace is this idea of innovation, right? Everybody is looking to be an innovator. Everybody wants to develop the prototype for the next iPhone or whatever's going to follow that. And I think that sometimes being branded as an innovator is actually a lot simpler than we think. One of my favorite stories in the book was one that you told about these focus groups that Betty Crocker had conducted several years ago. And I wondered if you could just share a very brief version of that story, and maybe a little bit of the insight you take away in terms of how being a great listener can help you be an innovator.
3: Well, I love that story too. This was back when they first had a cake mixes come out. And the early Betty Crocker cake mix, you only had to add water there were powdered egg in the mix. And so it was really incredibly easy. And they really thought this would take off with, you know, housewives who are always looking for ways to, you know, save time. And so this was not doing well. And they were really surprised by that. So they convened a focus group. And in listening to these housewives, they said that they really didn't like the cake mixes because they made them feel guilty they were too easy. And a lot of times emotions drive what we do. And so, you know, knowing your customer and knowing those things sort of goes against what you would think as somebody who was creating that product. And what they did is they took out the powdered eggs. So when you made a cake with the cake mix, you had to add water as well as crack a few eggs. So it made it seem like more of an honest effort and sales took off. It was a matter of listening to the customer. It's just, it's asking the questions. It's listening and really being curious and listening for those little emotional drivers that make people do what they do. And that is at the heart of innovation because, you know, it's the frustration and the aggravation of something in someone's life is what you need to solve as somebody who's creating a product. It's those products that are successful because they solve a problem. And how do you find out what those problems are? You listen.
2: I love that story because it's charming and it's funny and it resonates. And that is still, by the way, when I buy a cake mix with my kids, we're still buying the same product. It's still the water and the eggs and the eggs are the part that make my kids feel like they're baking. And so there's so much, there's so much insight in that story, but I love it because I'm always talking with leaders and teams about Really just being expansive in how you define innovation. The person who made that discovery may not have labeled themselves an innovator. They were just listening and responding and iterating on an existing product, but it had significant impact on the business and on their results. And I just, I think that is such a powerful story. So for anybody who is not working for Betty Crocker, you know, how can you use this power of just asking questions and paying attention to what people are saying to find your next big idea or small idea that's going to have a big impact?
3: Well, I mean, listening is the engine of ingenuity. It's not only listening for what needs that other people have that you might want to satisfy or complaints that they might have that you want to take away from them, the pain points that you want to relieve, but it's also listening to your collaborators and listening what hasn't worked in the past or what has worked in the past And all of those little pieces, all that bit of listening comes together in your head and really fosters creativity. Creativity doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from putting all these little puzzle pieces, all these little snips, clips that you've heard throughout days and years that lead to that aha moment. It comes from listening to all these different sources. And that's what creativity
2: and ingenuity and innovation is. There is one section towards the end of your book that focuses on when is it okay not to listen? And I would love it if you could just touch on that a little bit, because there can be maybe a dark side of maybe yielding too much power.
3: I'm really glad you brought that up. I don't want people to think that, you know, because it's a book about listening, that that means that you must submit to anyone who starts talking until they run out of breath. That is definitely not something that I advocate. And, you know, there is really a time when you need to decide you're not going to listen. And that is valid. There are always times when you may choose or may just not be able to listen you may be fatigued, you may be hungry, you may be angry. Those are times when maybe you need to take a break and you need to step back. And it's always just instructive to get in touch with that be mindful when you are listening, but also be mindful of the times when you are unable to listen and ask yourself various questions. Like, why is this person difficult to listen to? Is it because they have a thick accent I'm having trouble following it? Is it because this person is demeaning? Is it because this person brags all the time? Is it because this person never listens to me? You have your reasons. And, you know, everybody has to make that calculation for themselves of why they may not want to listen. But just be mindful and know if the
2: reason says more about you than the other person. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense and and you made a comment in there. You said, "We have to decide who gets our time and attention." And one of the drums I'm always banging is your time and your attention are they are limited resources and they are yours to invest wisely. And so, what I think I hear you saying is don't only listen out of self-interest, but also recognize if what somebody has to say is somehow taking away value from where you need to get to. Don't spend your energy. Don't spend your attention there. Well, I think you're right.
3: I mean, you can't listen someone out of being unkind or abusive. It's a mistake to think you can do that. The thing about listening is the better you get at it, the earlier you're able to realize, okay, done. (laughs) You know, don't need Mm -hmm. to go down that road. I recognize what this is. The more people you listen to, the more aspects of humanity you will recognize and the better your gut instinct will be. So you'll know the people that you may need to avoid. You just listen to yourself. Every time you talk to this person, you feel diminished, you feel degraded, you feel, you know, dejected. That's something to pay attention to. And you don't need to submit yourself to that type of listening experience. It may be time to move on.
2: I thank you so much for joining me and spending this time with me today. I have so enjoyed listening to everything that you've had to say, and I'm confident that my listeners will feel the same. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Rachel Cook, your Modern Mentor host. I hope today's episode was a great listening experience. I'd love to hear your feedback or questions. Leave me a voicemail on the Modern Mentor hotline at 201-632-5656 and you may just be featured on the show. Visit my website at leadabovenoise.com. And if you're on LinkedIn, keep an eye out for the new Modern Mentor page going live next week. Thanks so much for listening and have a successful week.